Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 164 for Monday, May 7th, 2018. folks and welcome to gig gab the podcast by for and about working musicians here as i was going to say as always as usual in durham new hampshire i'm dave hamilton out here in los gatos california paul kent how you doing mr kent i'm doing good man it's monday morning i had a i had great gig saturday night i want to talk about and then i had to wake up and do an afternoon gig on sunday which was you know a bit of a thing how are you doing i'm good i had a similar weekend where i had i had gigs both friday night and then saturday night and um you know it's i mean it's always interesting especially when they both involve a lot of singing so um you know just in terms of managing your voice and all that stuff Mm -hmm. on the way to the gig i had a rehearsal thursday night too but on the way to the gig friday i did my normal warm-up routine in the car and um it's really it's the same song that i sing twice in a row i sing the the lead part of of uh rem's finest work song and then the harmony part great song well it, it is a great song right so it's not a bad tune to have to listen to on the way to a gig but it also just for me singing those stipe parts they're low enough in my register that especially with that song, cause he's singing a lot of long notes. So it really just like in a very relaxed way, I can just totally warm up my, my body really uh, for singing. And then the second time through, I sing the harmonies, which are, are at times relatively high for me. Um, and it it just works. It's perfect. Except, uh, but it also gives me a litmus test, right. Of how things are doing for me. Um, you know, how, am I going to be able to hit notes that would basically be the highest parts of my range that I'd comfortably go for. And, um, man, on the way to the gig, it was like, Oh crap. It's allergy season. And I was like, I was even fighting. Like I just couldn't get relaxed, even singing like the stipe parts and stuff and the, you know, warming up the lower register. I was like, and then when I tried to sing high notes, it was like, they just didn't work. I was like, crap. And it was a monkey fist gig, which is me singing high harmonies with Johnny D all night long. And I got to, while we were setting up, I asked John, I said, you warm up in the car? He's like, yeah, but uh, I'm like, no, I know. I said, well, all right, well, fine. I mean, you know, we'll just deal with it. Whatever you're going to do. It's like, you know, we got three hours of this. So whatever happens, happens. And um, we got about four songs in and then it was like, this is going really well. We're hitting all the notes. There's no problem. So I didn't say anything. We, neither one of us, we, we, by the, at the end of the gig, we talked about it like that. We, there were like two moments all night where, where there were problems. You didn't want to jinx it, man. Oh, totally not. (laughs) (laughs) So do you know, do you know your range? How high can you sing? Um, full voice, full head voice, full head voice. Um, I can usually hit, uh, well, what's the note that I can hit? I used to know this answer to this question and now put me on the spot. I can't think about it. It's either a it's B awesome. or it's either a B or a D that I can hit. Damn, man. Yeah. That's Damn. quite a bit. So yeah. are you a tenor? Is that a tenor? I, I am. I, yes, I am a tenor. I'm not a rock tenor, right? Like rock tenor hits like is a lower register. I think it is sort of the, the way that that's generally 
Uh, oh, I've never rock. heard that term, rock tenor. Yeah, there's that rock tenor thing where it's like, well, you know, you can hit the higher notes, but not that high, you know. And, um, but so, so yeah, I, I can hit notes as a tenor, but in terms of singing leads, it, it's different. Um, I, I can't comfortably go as high singing leads because I can, I can thin out my voice and, and hit harmonies that blend and ring perfectly. But if you falsetto were, or full no, voice, no full voice. But if you were to isolate that track, you'd be like, well, that's not the best tone for like a lead vocal, but it, for a harmony, right. like it's, it's great. So, so it's a little different singing leads versus, versus harmonies, but um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I can use That's it cool. on a good day. I, you know. I knew, I knew you could like the, that note, and uh, no matter what you do, yeah, you know, what in that in the bridge in the bridge? Yeah, I Not think that's that a B. Gray wall. Yeah, yeah. Be a part high. of it. Yeah, that's yeah. It's high stuff. Yeah, it's fun though. That's I like stuff. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keeps it keeps it interesting. Once I'm oh, warmed that's up, cool. that's the that's sort of the key. Yeah. Do you do you typically warm up like? I warm up in the car on the way to a gig. That's, That's when it. I kind of do a few exercises and that type of thing. And, yep. you know, the bubbles and humming and that type of stuff. Um, and just try and get the resonance going. But, um, you know, I, I'll talk about the Saturday gig in a little bit because it was, you know, two and a half hours of, of rock singing. But then I had to get up and, you know, about I had a 1 p.m. downbeat on Sunday. And I I was more tired than I was horse you know what i mean it, yeah. it wasn't so much the wear because i'm actually singing pretty structurally good these days that's good but you know after the after the gig saturday we went to a little after party and you know didn't get to sleep till about 2 30 and then to get up and sing early afternoon so it was rough the first couple songs and, I, and it was again it's just about getting warmed up and getting your whole body warmed up it's not only just sometimes getting your your vocal cords warmed up sometimes just kind of getting your head warmed up and you know just kind of getting the blood flowing yeah it's blood flowing and and for me it's air flowing like i can feel whether i'm warmed up more in my chest than i can in in my throat i mean i i know it in my throat but but it's um it really is like once i can feel the air just like naturally and comfortably flowing all the way through my chest. It's like, okay, good. Now I'm not thinking about it. I'm not breathing in my chest. I'm breathing, you know, a little bit lower down. Your diaphragm. Yeah. yeah. The air's moving the way it's supposed to. It's like, okay, cool. Now I'm chilled out. Now I can sing anything, anything that yeah. I can sing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> not anything, but yeah. Got it. Yeah. Hey, you were going to do, what was the one song in your, in your corporate band that you're doing that you were like a little concerned about? Was it, um, not working for the weekend. Was that uh, Bon Jovi song? Living on a prayer. Yeah. 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 It, did you, we did we you do it. Did you punt? We, no, no, we do it. it there, there was no really, there was no real option to punt. It's always like the last song of the night, um, <laughs> you know, which is great. Like, yeah, thanks guys. Um, yeah, it, it's fine. When, um, when Kelly's there, I have her sing the choruses with me. Uh, and we're starting to do more and more of that. Uh, we just started working on doubling, doubling. Yeah. And then that way I don't have to worry so much about being, I can just jump to falsetto, but it still thickens it up enough. Um, yeah. We're playing your love too from, uh, from the outfield outfield. Yeah. And that's really high. That's above my range. So she was singing it, you know, when we did it at rehearsals, she, she sang it and our sound guy was like, yeah, he's like, I, I think, it needs to be the two of you because she's got the notes, but you've got, you know, some of that grit that you can bring to it. And and so we're starting to do more and more of that where we're just singing together on things. Um, 
and unisons are, are interesting, right? Because you've got to really know the person you're singing with. There, there's a, yep. there needs to be an automatic trust there, not just trust them, you know, like trust fall trust, but knowing how they sing, how they start and end phrases where they are, you know, where you're both going to go sharp and flat together, you know, trending and all that stuff. Um, so it, it like, we're not, she and I are not there yet. We just don't have enough experience together, uh, doing that. Uh, but, but we'll get there. Like, it's fine. Yeah. 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 I had along those lines, I had a really interesting thing. Uh, you know, I played with Johnny D on, uh, and Jimmy as monkey fist on Friday night. And then Saturday night we had a fling gig as part of this original night thing that we did that I'm sure we'll talk more about in detail because I got a lot of thoughts from that. But then Thursday night I had a rehearsal with Sea uh, Rock, which is a band that I um, have filled in with in the past and I'm doing some gigs with them uh, coming up. And, you know, three nights in a row singing with three different singers. Now in Fling, mm-hmm. there's there's multiple singers, but we all know each other really well. But it, it was really interesting because it, especially singing harmonies with people, I I find that you know, not everybody sits right in tune. And I don't mean that people sing out of tune necessarily, although it, it's slightly out of tune. It doesn't sound out of tune, but everybody has their own tendencies, right? You know, some people will sing just a little bit under the note. And so when you're singing a harmony, you can't overblow them. Like you got to, you know, detune your brain a little bit. And some people sing a little over the note. And then some people sing right on the money. Like Johnny D is right on the money, except for a couple of tunes where I know that he's going to fall flat in the chorus. So I just, you know, think and go with him. Um, Suzanne in, in Sea Rock, she's actually one of the few people that sounds good singing just under the notes. Um, mm. and, and she really does. It, and, and frankly, I put you in that same category for most people. Like if you have to air on one side or the other sharp is the way to go, but, but you tend to just like sit right under it, but that's where your voice sounds good. Uh, so, you know, it's funny you're saying that is I'm thinking about when I was taking voice lessons, yep. you know, I, I was always asking that question. Am I on pitch? Am I on pitch? And my music teacher, um, my, my voice teacher talked about this concept of relative pitch. Right. Mm-hmm. That, you know, some people hear, um, you know, a few percent plus or minus per, you know, right on top of the note. And yeah. So, you know, I, I definitely find this. It makes some people I sing with a little crazy. It makes some people, you know, kind of adapt in an interesting way. And I've actually heard and thank you for the compliment. I've actually heard that before um, that, you know, it's part of the phrasing it's part of the breathing and it's part of the emoting of the song. Yep. It's almost a style thing, which, you know, it is. A style I don't know. Thing. Yeah. 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 But it, it is that thing, uh, you know, relative pitch is, you know, sometimes considered a value because, you know, straight on can sound a little bit robotic. And sometimes there's, there's a little bit of phrasing, Mm. benefit to be getting from that but you i don't know that you can really teach that right i mean it's it's really how you feel the notes what i notice when i because i you know i sing one harmony group and the, those guys are spot on spot spot on sure and all i can tell whether it's going right or not is you can just kind of tell if the vibrations are lining up right you yes. can just kind of tell if, if if what's out there in the air you know is is butter or whether it's clashing and that's really the only frame of reference i have yeah that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it, and it, and it's like, like I said, most people don't sound, most people sound better going, if anything, going sharp 
as opposed to going flat. But there are, there are those people out there that like you and Suzanne, where it, it really works to have, you know, that just like you said, you know, just a couple cents under or not even necessarily under. But but, you know, you scoop up to a note as opposed to scoop right. past it and things like that. Um, and so singing with Suzanne, it was like, oh, that's right. It's been a while. And it took maybe, you know, maybe an hour of rehearsal to finally be like, oh, yeah, I got to like recalibrate. my. Do you brain. have perfect pitch, Dave? No, I, I, I but what I do have and it was interesting to hear you use this term in a different way. What I do have is extremely good relative pitch. The classical definition of relative pitch is someone that once they know where, you know, C or A or anything is, they can hit intervals very, very consistently. Right. So it's not perfect pitch because I can't pull a B flat out of the air. But if I hear, you know, a B flat, I can hit a D, no problem, right? And so I have, mm-hmm. I have extremely good relative pitch um, that I've just developed over the years, paying attention and, and, you know, repeating over and over again. But it started in college. I took a sight, uh, I mean, I took a har- couple of harmony and theory classes, and one of them was a sight singing class where I, we had to do that. And it was eight in the morning and it sucked because it was 20 minutes across campus in the cold <laughs> and having to <laughs> sing at eight in the morning is not really a good thing, but that's where you just learn to just figure it out and get the note out. It doesn't have to sound great. It just needs to be in tune. And, and so that is a foundation. And then of course, just, you know, repetition from there. Um, I was able to develop pretty good relative pitch. I'm not always on the money, but um, I'm usually on the money and I know when I'm not, you know, so yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. So it was interesting, you know, just kind of recalibrating my brain at each gig, like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, so tell me about your, um, your, your Springsteen gig, man. I will tell you about it. So yeah. there are a lot of lessons from it and it was, it was overall a, a remarkable magic experience. I mean, it was very, very gratifying and it was gratifying on a lot of levels. It was gratifying that the band kind of came together. Remember I sent them the songs about two and a half months in advance of the gig. We didn't rehearse. We got together for one kind of group listen uh, early on in that process. And, but we really only rehearsed four times Um the every Sunday leading up to the gig last Saturday. Um, and so we did basically the first show and then first half and it was, it was 18 songs that I had them learn. So that the way that the, the gig ran was I did two acoustic songs to open solo acoustic to open the show. Then the band came out and played half. Then I did about seven acoustic songs in the middle of the show. And then the band came out and played set two. And then I closed with an acoustic song. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and so it had it was it was an interesting thing, and, and maybe I'll, I'll just take a little detour here. So, the first thing about this is it is a different thing than playing a cover band dance gig. It is it was a very different thing. It was 150 chairs pointed at me, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, and uh, people sitting there and saying, "Okay, you know, entertain me." I bought my ticket, so it's a different thing. And and having done having done a few of these types of things. Uh, you know, I'm getting to the point where I'm understanding what happens is that just one, the dramatic, the, the dynamics of people sitting in their chair creates a little bit, uh, you know, it's not like a, there's a dance floor where you can get out and move. And, you know, do you want to be that person standing up and blocking the view behind you, even if you really right. feel like it, you right. know? And so there's a whole bunch of things in getting the energy in the room, right. Um, and that's why I opened up with a couple acoustics. One was a little bit lighthearted. One was, you know, 
kind of a very Bruce type of song, uh, kind of set the mood I want. But the whole show that I did and the way that I strung the songs together, um, uh, and the reason I did acoustic sets is, is and some of the um, effects, and it, it was to create a different set of sounds for people. It wasn't just straight ahead of dance beat. It wasn't just, you know, and it, and it was nice because it afforded us the opportunity to play some performance pieces instead of dance pieces. Right. Right. In fact, many performance pieces. I was just going to say that the, the, the sitting crowd frees you up uh, in a in a sense. I mean, it, it also puts the pressure on in a completely different way, but, but yeah, yeah it frees you up. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny because the first couple of times I did it when when people when you don't quite get that that response like like after every song there was really healthy applause sometimes great applause and a couple songs that we did like something really cool happened in the middle of the song and there was big applause so we had them you know we did a good job and we were playing but um not until almost the end maybe four or five songs at the end we played all those big hits at the end um about four or five songs at the end did we really get people up and you know and and there was like palpable that type of energy in the sure. room yep. song to song to end it and so familiarity with the songs is another thing that you know remember if you're going to do one of these things and play songs that people don't know even if the groove is right even if you know the sound is great you know all these types of things familiarity is is one of those things that get people you know to connect to the music so yep. it takes a while to earn that so we went from polite friendly applause and i i it was about I'd say probably 80% of the people in the room knew me, you know, fairly personally come out to see me and other things that I do. Sure. So it was a, it was a Homer crowd, you know, for sure. But you know, you're still, you, you get on stage. And yeah. You gotta, you still gotta win them over even though you still gotta earn it. Yeah. 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 So that was kind of the first reflection is like, all right. And you know, we had a little bit of discussion with the band about it. Cause you know, it's, it's a very different thing, you know, even for experienced musicians, mm-hmm. You know, we, you know, you took people's money and, and we charged a little bit more. It was 15 in advance, 20 at the door, whereas most of our cover band gigs are 10 bucks at the door. Yep. Um, so, you know, it was, you know, it's there. You know, you feel you want to perform great. The music is really important to you. Um, people, you've taken their hard earned money and, uh, you know, you've promised them a, a night that would be uplifting. And at the end of the day, you know, by the time we got to the end, you know, got an, I got an encore. Uh, we delivered the goods. It, people said it was, you know, they were really happy. And not only the people who knew me, there were a couple of people who came because they were Springsteen fans. And those were the people I was worried about the most. Of course. Um, yeah. Because they would know everything that I was doing. Um, I had an old high school friend come in kind of out of the blue. I haven't seen him in, in a many, many a moons. Yep. Uh, and he's a Springsteen fan. And he came, you know, we reconnected. That. So there was like a lot of dynamics in the room. My, my wife and kids were there. My dad was there. My stepmom was there. I mean, there, there were a lot of interesting feelings that take you there. One good friend bought a really big group there. And I definitely was feeling, you know, accountable to make sure that because she was like, you got to see this guy. And, and so it was kind of a cool thing. And at the end, I, I, the, the reviews were even better than what I felt it was. So, you know, that conversation we've been having over the past couple of weeks about yeah. take, take a while to, you know, go back and, and see the video. So I didn't do that. I, I, you know, two thirty in the morning, I, I, I took a peek at some of them. The next morning I took a peek at more and the emotions were flying all over the place. It was, some things were really satisfying. Some things you see the missed moments, you know, you can do better. Of course. And yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and that, so, I mean, it, and, and that's really what, to me, that's what I'm looking for. 
is like, is that kind of stuff, the validation that, okay, that I thought that was good. That was good. Uh, Ooh, that wasn't, you know, and, and you want it to be a, a learning experience, but I where for me. And, and this is what I was saying in, you know, in the previous couple of episodes is when I'm still in that, you know, very tender emotional state after the gig and the emotions haven't sort of locked in for me yet. At that point, listening back, it never I'm never able to be objective. So the, there's little value in being exposed to that information until I can like set it on a shelf and be like, OK, that's how that gig was for me. It, I know how people were in the room. You know, there's a whole vibe that a video camera cannot communicate. So very true. Right. So, okay, great. No problem. Now I know that I'm comfortable with whatever that was. And, and, you know, it can be positive and it can also be negative. And then it's like, all right, now I want to now I want to improve my craft so I can I can be a little more objective and analytical, you know, than I could be driving home from the gig. And really, that's where where this came from for me was we had a great gig. This was, I don't know, 10 years ago. Great gig with Groove Syndicate. And I recorded it and I had an hour ride home. And by the time I got home, of course, I was crying. Yeah, it was freaking awful. I was like, oh, what was I doing? Crap. You know, I don't even get to enjoy it for one night, you know. (laughs) Well, here's a big reflection. So what you said about you use it to improve your craft. That's the right way to go back and listen to it. Mm-hmm. Going back to listen to it, to relive the glory is a, a trap. It's a dead end. You know, it can happen. I, I have experienced it, but it is not often that that happens. Yeah. But ultimately what I'm left with and, and t- you know, nice people sent me notes and, you know, it was really very, sure. very cool. Yeah. Um, what, what people walk out with is the summation of the whole thing. Not, you know, they may one good moment they may take with them that might be meaningful to them. Rarely does, you know, one bad moment. Like, like we had one, we had one medium size train wreck. It was, it, uh, if you're a Bruce fan, it was a little bit bigger than medium sized train okay. wreck, but, <laughs> but to a, a casual, you know, observer, it was a medium sized train, train wreck. And we actually pulled out of it, which was kind of cool. That's great. Yeah. Um, the onstage communication with a band that doesn't play together quite right. Wasn't there. Um, uh, you know, even though I, you know, I was fairly, like, look to me, you know, if something happens, we'll, you know, we'll get out of it, big ears, that type of thing. Yep. But, um, but, uh, yeah, nobody, nobody, I mean, even the Bruce fans, nobody came up and said anything to like what happened on that song, which is what I would have expected. <laughs> Cause that's what I was feeling at the time. Say, you, you, you or I might've done that, but yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. yep. But, um, and, and, you know, there's a great lesson here and I'm going to contrast it. There, there's a band in, in my town of some of the best players in town. They've, they're all very accomplished. They've all played in very successful other projects. They're playing together now. They are technically perfect. They are, you know, you listen to them and, you know, there's, they're just very disciplined and they just get it done. This, and some of the people who I picked to be in this had been in projects like that before and this was a little different. This was rawer. Yeah. And, but it's all that I really know, Dave. I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, when, when asked to play in a, in a box in a certain way, I will do my best to play that. But what naturally comes to me is to not 
stress too much, you know, if a string rings, you know, in the wrong place sure. or that's, you know, and, and, you know, the rawness is the music I listen to. It's the, it's the music that I enjoy the most and it's the music that I feel the most. And this was like grip it and rip it type stuff. Um, even more than the house rockers are right. Yeah. Uh, you, you had the experience with the house rockers, which has an element of that, but also has a lot of really, you know, you got to be on your toes and, you know, a lot of discipline stuff. Yeah. This was, this was largely a grip and rip it. I mean, there was some technical stuff like, you know, you can't play Thunder Road without some deference to the nuance of it. But you can play Glory Days by just gripping and ripping it, right? You can. That's right. Yep. Yep. And and you so, with yeah, with that tune, you could probably even please the Bruce fans just going just going at it. So, but. well, so uh, one of the guys who was in the audience, you know, who was came up because he was a Bruce fan, he actually said, "Listen, this was incredible. He said, you don't sound anything like him, you know, maybe a couple times, but you don't sound anything like him, but the energy and the vibe coming off the stage is what I live for. Right. It's what, you know, that's what I code go to see Bruce for is, you know, you don't sound like him when you sing like him, but the feeling that you get from, you know, emoting this music was what I, what I was after. And that, that, and then someone sent me a note that, you know, it was one of the more uplifting nights they've ever had listening to music. That's kind of what I was going for, right? That's pretty good. You know, it was even yeah, if that's I'll, not I'll what you're I'll going for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you know, it, it was it was, uh, and then in the bigger sense, you know, I got really nice notes from several local musicians in town, even some guys that I'm not really close to, saying, "Hey, it's really cool you're doing this. Good luck with it. Break a leg." And it, you know, just that kind of encouragement was a cool thing. This was a good thing for our music scene. So, you know, I, I sing with Mary Ellen and Steve. Steve's going to do one in a month on Fogarty. I'm actually the guitar player. I'm not going to do any singing. I'm just going to play guitar, which is kind of cool. And then Mary Ellen's going to do one that is uh, her idol is Linda Ronstadt. And, wow. you know, we're going to do it at the end of the summer. And she's going to do it from all, you know, even the big band stuff. She's going to do all aspects of Riddle when she worked with Nelson Riddle and um, just all the albums. She's going to cover some stuff. So, so we've kind of started a thing where, that's you know, cool. you don't always, you know, music, the music consumers, the people who we've earned as friends and fans, they don't always want to go to a bar no. and, and feel compelled to dance. Right. And, and that we, so that's what we kind of did with fling on, on Saturday night. So this is really interesting. You know, you and I both took one of the bigger party nights of the year, right? The, the May 5th, mm-hmm. Cinco de Mayo. And completely went a totally different direction. Like it, it would have been relatively easy, I would think, for you or for us to find some, you know, gig where a bar wanted a, a band to just play cover songs and, and you know, people di- drink and dance all night. Like no problem. But, uh, you know, here we did these different things. And the fling gig that we did, I really didn't know what to think going into it. I didn't really have a lot of clarity on what the space even was about and then how the night was going to flow. And I, I mean, I was, you know, I was on board, but I was there cause Mike, our guitar player had a vision and, and he wanted to do this thing. And it was like, okay, we're, you know, I'm here, I'll support you. And I mean, I'll, you know, we'll play and it, it, all of that, but it's like, yeah, just go. And you know, I'll, I'll fill in as we, as we go along. He's a member of this it's a private club, I guess, but it, it's just a, a room in an old mill building, one town over uh, that uh, the members, it's got a stage in there. It's got a full PA and it's a huge room. It's a square, big square, uh, almost kind of warehouse kind of thing uh, split down the middle with, with, you know, lolly columns, like support columns. So it's all open. 
one side, so that you've got two rectangular sides. One side at the short end of the rectangle has has a big stage and and all of that, and then the other side it has like couches and things, and and there's sort of chairs all over the place, and and so. Um, but you, you, we essentially four walled our own thing. There's no bar there. There's no anything. It, it, you know, Mike just had the the place mm-hmm. for the night because he's a member, and they each get X number per year or something. And uh, so we we decided to do it as an all original night, and we had uh, f- f- everybody. We had three different bands uh, play an hour each. And we had to do the sound, which was fine. We used their speakers. We used our mixer because it's way easier to, to you know, kind of deal with something you know. Um, and and it was a weird room. It was, you know, cement floors and wood ceilings. So, you know, pick which one is going to be worse for the sound and, and then deal with the other. Um, but it, it was really interesting because um, I didn't – I knew the guys, the, I, the people that were in the first band. It was sort of a pickup band. This one guy's a songwriter. <laughs> This guy named Dave Howland, and uh, and he brought in a couple other people. He brought in another acoustic guitar player and a drummer. So that was a little lighter and stuff, which was a good way to start the evening. And then and then there was and he did a great job. I mean, they it was just it was killer. Uh, and then there was this band called the Church Ladies, and they're an all original <laughs> band. It is you know I I, I called it shtick rock, right? Be, for lack of a, do they dress like the church lady? They they do. They're singers, oh, especially yeah. They're they're male. They've got uh, two female singers in the band that mostly were singing harmonies. Although there was one song where they they sang leads. They write all their own material. They don't do any covers. Um, and the the guy who sings most of the leads, he dresses in a a full like nun's habit. Um, and and they're really tight. They only play like four times a year, but they've been together for like twenty years. Um, so their, their gig frequency is pretty low these days, but, but they really know not only how to play with each other, but also like they, they're very used to blending harmonies without a sound person having to like actively do that. They're very good at making sure they're like solos jump out in level and, and come back. And, and so sound wise, yeah, very, very polished from that standpoint and very a pleasure to, you know, I wound up doing their sound for them. Um, uh, and uh, and it was great, but um, very engaging, like super entertaining. They had moves and shtick. And it, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, the B-52s meets uh, they might be giants in, in terms of some of the songwriting. And then and then the having the two female harmonies kind of going all the time it was real. I mean, it was really well done. And it was really interesting because the, you know, the five of us in fling are watching this happen and knowing that we were playing next. And it, you know, it was this almost not a feeling of envy, but a feeling of, Oh crap. Like they're doing a, they're killing it up there. Um, and they really were like, they, they were, like I said, very engaging. Their stage show was a show and they really were good at entertaining people. And it was like, Oh crap. Like, this is like, this is very different from how we are on stage. And I don't know how it's going to be for someone in the crowd to watch us next, you know? And, and so, so there was this, this, you know, respect and admiration. Right. And, and when they came off stage, we we shared that with them. We're like, Oh, that was awesome. And, um, and I, I think that kind of put us on, on the spot to then go up and deliver a show. And yeah, yeah, and and we started 
very rough. Like for whatever reason, the tune that we opened with just was uh, it wasn't a train wreck, but it was it was not as tight as it usually is. And we've opened with this tune a bunch. It's an original of ours called the Hamburg Station Blues that Russ wrote and Burke sings. And usually it's just like butter, which is why we put it first. <laughs> and uh, it was not butter, not even close to butter. Um, and and so, you know, it was a little edgy. I was like, oh, crap. I've, we've played these kind of gigs before. Like this, we're, we've only got an hour. We're never going to like come back around. But it was like, right. well, we're just going to, I mean, we're not going to stop either. And the first half of the next song was kind of more of the same. I was like, oh, oh crap. And then by the end of that tune, somehow – we all relaxed and we were playing like, you know, we always do. And it was like, Oh, Hey, cool. You know, I didn't, I didn't even realize it for two more songs. It was like, wait a minute. Things are, this is way different than it started. Okay, great. And, uh, and we entertained and we played really well and, and we did our thing the way we do our thing. And it was really interesting getting off stage and having the folks from the church ladies come up and they were clearly feeling the same way about having watched our set that we were about. Having uh, that's stairs, really cool. Right. And so it was this like very respectful, mutual admiration society. Like, well, I mean, you know, yeah, we, we did our thing, but you guys, like you delivered something very, very different. That's cool. And so, yeah, so it was really cool. And I hadn't experienced that in a long time. Um, I had like back in, you know, back in the days when I was playing in original bands all the time, you know, you do these showcases with other bands and you, you know, everybody just comes up and kind of does their thing. And it was really cool to remember like, oh, that's right. Everybody's going to go up and kill it as best they can kill it. And, you know, you, you acknowledge that you, you're aware of it and then you respect it and then you have to go up and kill it too. <laughs> it actually sounds like fun to me because, you yeah. know, I like that competitive drive and, yeah. you know, I think, I, you know, with creative people, sometimes you can be intimidated by that, but you don't really have a choice because nope. like it or not. Now, my buddy, Joe, he, um, in the heyday of, you know, when you could make a full on living and many people did sure. playing cover music, 70s and 80s. And he said that there were these showcases that were like, you know, brides would come and, you know, people would put on these showcases all the time. Like people who were going to have a wedding, people who had corporate gigs would come and, you know, these showcases would be organized and everybody would get a half hour. And he said, sure. you know, back in the day, you know, it, it, there it, you pick carefully who are your buddies and you find out who your buddies because definitely that com that competitiveness brings out weird stuff in people. I mean, they definitely. he would tell stories, oh, you know, like like borderline sabotage and you know this type of stuff because you're all there competing for a gig, right? But when you can do it, and a lot of times these festival gigs that are out here, you know, again, house rockers don't play too many festivals because it's just too hard to get our big band on stage and mic'd in the amount of time they usually give for a changeover. Yeah. But in the times that we do it, you know, it's really a very joyous feeling when it's all a bunch of very goodwilled musicians just adding to the joy of the day. That's fun. I mean, that's that's really fun. It's it's much less fun when it's not goodwill musicians who there's not any, you know, there's, you know, no, no effort to connect and there's no kind of self support or mutual support. So, you know, that, that is, you know, and I guess that says a lot more about the people than it does about the bands. Right. But, um, right, right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I really liked it. And, um, I, I look forward to doing more of these things it, potentially out there at, at this venue they call Sue's place. But, um, yeah, it was really it was a fun a fun thing and I got to be perfectly honest going into it 
the bar in my own head was set so low in terms of uh, whether or not this was going to be like anything remotely successful. It just, I just didn't understand going in, you know, and, it, and I was also, you know, we had to do our own sound and which meant we did the sound for everybody. So it was like, okay, cool. Well, I get to be there for, you know, six hours and I'll play for one of those, but for the rest of it, I'm the sound guy. Like, you know, it's like, okay, that's cool. But <laughs> that's a lot of work, especially if people are difficult to deal with, you, you know. But thankfully, no one was. I, I didn't know these church ladies before uh, before this gig. Russ is friends with, with them. And I knew their drummer. Um, but we'd never done any any music together. And so it was like, well, I don't know how difficult they're going to be. And, and as soon as, like, everything started assembling – their bass player came up to me and he says, I just want to say thank you in advance. He says, when we play gigs, I'm the one that has to do what you're doing. I, <laughs> I understand what you're going through. And, cool and, guy. And yeah. And like I said, he has the band well-trained because they're used to doing their own sound. So they they know that they don't have someone to blend their harmonies and solos and stuff. So they just do it themselves on stage. So that made them extremely easy to do sound for. Just, you know, get a musical mix happening and then leave the mixer alone and just enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that part was really good. Um, you put a link a couple of weeks ago to a band that's popular around here called the Spasmatics. Do you remember yeah, that? I do. They yeah. should they should do a double gig with the church ladies. Yeah, exactly. Although, yeah. check this out. I heard that the Spasmatics is almost like a franchise. There's actually spasmatic groups all over the country, and it's really? one guy, yeah, who kind of like does the you know marketing. And I don't know whether it's literally a franchise or how it works, but I've actually heard that there it's the same formula. You know, that goes back to one booking guy that uh, that executes this formula. Yeah. Huh. That's pretty good. But there's, yeah. a le- there's a lesson here in making your band a friendly sound citizen. Right. You, you know, not not putting all the work on your engineer uh, at the board to to make you sound good. Like, really, as long as the, the system is there to take the sound that's happening on stage and and broadcast it over a wider net than you would get like from there it's like you the band it when it's great is when the band plays as one instrument right definitely and, and that's not easy like it it definitely takes everyone needs to be super aware of how each of their instruments sounds in different rooms, you know, and that was another thing is I was up there on the stage getting stuff ready and their guitar player was just sitting there in front of his amp, you know, kind of hitting a chord and tweaking his, his, his sound and hitting a chord and listening and tweaking his sound. And that's when I knew it's like, okay, these guys understand that you can't just show up and, and plug in your amp and not think about, well, are we outside? Are we inside? Are we, you know, where does volume need to be? And, yep. um, and and so, you know, and, and then, of course, being aware of how you interact with the rest of your band, um, it, it, it really made a difference. It did mean, though, that we shared a back line um, because the only way, like you said, with the house rockers doing, you know, festival gigs, if you're trying to move an entire band's gear on and off the stage, that that's going to take like best case scenario, I would say 30 minutes, but often longer than that, you know, especially for you guys. Yeah. So for this gig, we said, you know, we want the ability to do, you know, 10, 15 minute changeovers, which meant sharing a back line. And originally we were going to use my drums and the, actually the guy from the the church lady said, uh, you know, I really like to play my own kit. And I thought, you know what? 
I'm going to have my hands full with sound. Uh, you go bring your kit. It's an hour. I don't, I don't mind playing on somebody else's kit. You know, it's, I mean, it's weird and it's different, but whatever, you know, you deal with it. And, uh, and, and so it, it made it easy. We used mostly fling gear plus, plus uh, Tim's drums and, and it worked out really well. So, but it, you know, it does, it requires being a good citizen, right? It, because um, it, you're not going to have your own gear, right? You're, um, right. you know, you, you have to adapt and, and, uh, and you have to be willing to, um, you know, not have things exactly your way, right? If you're using somebody else's amp or, uh, you know, somebody else's drum set. I mean, I, you know, this guy's ride cymbal was probably eight inches further to the right than I'm, I'm used to playing. It's a lot like I had my kit set up in, in high school, but it's been a while. And I, you know, I didn't sing a lot in high school. So there was a weird thing having my, you know, right hand, you know, and my right shoulder opened up way wider than I normally would. But, you know, you, you adapt and you deal with it. Um, because that's that's sort of the deal going into the gig. We knew it going in. We you know, but even still, and 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 every it was funny watching or f- interesting watching everyone sort of deal with this in the moment. Like when the when the guys in the church ladies got there, they're like, oh, I mean, we all knew that we were going to be sharing <laughs> gear. This wasn't a surprise, but I'm not sure how much it was communicated. You know, from the points of contact amongst the band and and they're like well you know we have our amps like yeah so do we we get it but also we can't be changing amps out you know it's just there's no time in the evening for that that this particular night's not going to flow that way and they like i said they came right around it was like oh okay right well you know how about if we use this pedal board and that thing it was like yeah of course no problem and and it worked out great yeah so 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 here's my thought on that um I'm not picky, but I know people who are picky and I get it. I mean, sure. you, you know, you want to be comfortable and I get it. I'm actually not picky. So I'll, mm. as long as it's quality gear and you can get some good tones out of it, I'm as a guitar player, I'm not picky. Um, but that situation that you described, here's where it gets weird. And I'll extend it to um, when we play these multiple band bills. I often reach out and I've almost I can think maybe one time, but maybe one time, not more than that, where a band has reached out to me in advance and said, can we talk about set lists so we don't duplicate material? Oh, right? sure. And yeah, so, so the concept would, is all about... Normally I would do that. For this gig, I wasn't worried because everybody was playing the songs they wrote. <laughs> got it. Yep. But but my point is, is that um, it is uh, how people collaborate, how, how musicians and bands collaborate. So, you know, you're like, how do we come to some kind of even ground? So it sounds like you played his drum set, but they used your amps. Is that Correct. what happened? That's, that's yeah. essentially what happened. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yep. And, um, you know, again, this makes the, ten, you know, any kind of advanced kind of, kind of communication up to the point of downbeat is really sets the tenor for the gig. Again, I, I almost, I almost insist f- frantically on no tension at a gig, right? So if someone's bummed about something that happened at rehearsal or anything like that, you know, my, my mantra, my rule with my band is we let it go. We focus on the, on the task at hand. Right. But um, you know, these are the types of things when, you know, other bands like, no, you know, I, I, I'm not going to split songs I'm playing or, or I've had bands, We've had an agreement on, on how we split the songs that are duplicated. Sure. And then they then they play whatever they want anyway, right? Uh, the temptation is to get really angry at that type of stuff. I've had I had one band, a friend of mine's band, well, an ex friend of mine's band, who um, I invited them to open a gig for us. 
and they went way over. I mean, literally they ate into our time, which I thought was incredibly rude. And I was really ticked off about that. And, you know, but, uh, you know, getting to that point where you can just chill and if someone's going to be a jerk about stuff, you know, you gotta, you gotta stay on task, right? Cause there's not a whole lot that can happen. I mean, I think you, I think you fight for your position. You're like, no, 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 you know, compromise is compromise. And, right. you know, right. let's get to that point. But, um, you know, my thing is don't let any kind of animosity or hard feelings eat into your ability to give a great show. Yeah. If you're the type of guy who can channel that into, you know, making your show even better if you play that type of music or that there's something you can do. I mean, it's never to the point of like, like I've seen other bands call out other bands like, hey, we would have gotten started if the last band was a little you know, less rude. Or <laughs> I've seen that stuff happen. Yeah. you Have you? Um, I, yeah, I have. I mean, it, it never – you can tell that the person on stage that's doing it thinks that they're either being funny or yeah. rallying people together with them. But it never translates that no. way. You're always just sound like a a bitter jerk. It's really hard. You're a bitter jerk. Yeah. And I I actually caught myself uh, several times because, you know, we were there and I was point person on sound. I was essentially the sound engineer for the entire night. And people were helping out. Everybody was doing their part. But occasionally it would, you know, somebody would say, well, uh, you know, we're going to need an extra vocal mic, uh, you know, way over here. And it's like, okay, like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And I would have this moment where it was like, you know what? No, like, that's what I wanted to say. Like, come on. We, we talked about this ahead of time. Like the whole point is to not turn this into a fiasco. And, and, and I would, but I, I was actually impressed with myself because instead of just like drawing the line and saying, no, like we've all seen countless sound engineers do, <laughs> um, you know, I, I would take a minute and breathe and think, okay, how much of a big deal is this? Yes, it's different, right, from what, what we planned. But is it doable? Like, do we have to yep. sacrifice anything to make it happen? Or is it just, you know, okay, but, you know, go grab a stand and a microphone and a cable and uh, give me the cable and I'll plug it into Channel 9 or whatever, <laughs> you know. And if you're willing to do that particular work while I'm doing this other thing, then we're in, okay, who do I care? It's fine. Yeah. 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 Well, so I, I'll kind of come around on that. So we had another friend of ours, you know, Bill does been doing sound for me for years and years and years. This gig, we had another guy doing sound. Bill was there. He was helping, but there was another guy who was running sound. Another friend of mine, Mike O'Brien, great, you know, local sound engineer. And it was a tough gig because the in-house sound system was not quite said exactly, yep. you know, like gain structures and that type of stuff. And that's, that's a, what we first, dealt with too. Yep. Same thing. <laughs> well, and, and this venue owner didn't want to let us bring in our own board. He didn't oh. want us unplugging stuff in the back of his board. And, and, um, you know, we had a, we had a bunch and it, it was a difficult venue to get what we needed. And we had a, a really great sound guy, you know, Mike, O'Brien came in and he directed a setup and he directed, you know, what he could do and wouldn't do. And maybe, you know, that's a great thing. That's a good tip for, for sound guys. Like, you know, being the church of no is, you know, kind of your job, but really being the church of yes is, is your job. Like, you know, you got to get the artists what they need to you know do the best performance they can within reason. But, you know, how a sound guy creates the spirit of collaboration in a room, especially when multiple bands interests are at heart yes. is, is a skill. It's a personal, you know, it's a personnel management skill, a human resources skill. Yep. And it, it, it was one of the things that made this gig really, really successful. 
you know, a band that had never really performed, had never performed together, gets on stage, you know, a bunch of sounds, a bunch of perceptions, of stage volume, um, you know, and even the parts of this pickup band that I put together that were the most persnickety about sound, you know, we're, we're kind of raving both what it sounded like in house and what it sounded like on stage That's that right. allowed us to kind of do that thing. So, you know, having, having the right sound guy tilted the deck in our, in our favor for this one, it can I mean, make, it can make, know, it often can make all the difference in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually was against it at first, um, but uh, for several reasons and what actually came out to prophetically be helpful was that this was going to be a very difficult in-house venue to get tuned, to get, you know, the sound system set up. So it kind of like, like came back around to be the right choice for this type of thing. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, multiple band, multiple band gigs, the spirit of collaboration, cooperation, um, you know, musicians being cool to other musicians uh you know it, 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 that it makes a difference between a, an enjoyable gig and a, and a really frustrating one and a frustrating just a, a night that you can't wait for it to end yeah exactly no in that it you know and everybody's got to kind of be on that on that page but it, the sound person especially can take a good vibe and turn it sour very easily um, because every, you know, that's one person upon which everyone else must rely and, yep. and, you know, it's just how it goes. So, yeah. So I tried to really, I, like I said, I caught myself like, Oh, wait, 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 no, 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 no. I know what it's like on the other side of this. Let's just, you know, what do you need? Tell me what you need. Okay, great. How about if we do it this way? Yes. Okay, cool. It's like, like <clears> you said, it's, it's intentional collaboration, right? Is, is what that works out to be. And then everybody's great. I came up yep. with with one more tip mid uh, mid gig that thankfully I remembered to to jot down, and that is when, um, especially in a band, I guess it doesn't really matter whether you have one vocalist or, or not. Uh, making sure you draw your own attention to the person who is singing or soloing. Or anything like that, right? And and there's a lot of benefit to it. Number one, it it you're essentially telegraphing to the crowd who they should be looking at and paying attention to. But if you've got a sound engineer that doesn't know your band and you've got three guitar players, uh, if everybody's looking at the one that's soloing, well, guess what? You know that solo is going to be brought out much faster than it would be if if the engineer has to kind of guess mm. as to who's doing what. But um, but it, it just from a performance aspect, uh, there's there's a lot of benefit. And if you know where it came up was the way we fling we fling set up the other night. I we I had a different person in front of me than I usually do, and I realized singing one of our tunes because I sing lead on most of the tunes that Russ wrote actually. Uh, that I was just like that he was just st standing in front of me, staring straight ahead. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we'd never had this conversation before. So I, you know, you know, sort of quietly between tunes, I'm like, hey, man, you know, when I'm singing, like people are jockeying for position to see me. I'm like, just get out of the way. You know, And he was like, <laughs> oh, right. Like he, he just never thought about it before. And he was like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Y you know, and so, um, it, you know, looking at the person who's singing, looking at the person who's soloing. Or if you're not going to look, I mean, like I've seen some bands, if you ever saw, especially in the early days, Bela Fleck and the Flecktones, they would do this thing where, especially when Howard, their keyboard player and harmonica player would solo, like they would, the three of them, you know, he was the only one sitting down because their drummer plays that, that electronic drumatar thing where he's standing. They would all 
like sort of crouch together and stare at Howard. And it was really funny. <laughs> I mean, it was, just, yeah, it was, it was exactly what you're picturing in your head. It was just this really kind of interesting thing, but um, you know, you, that, that was certainly shtick um, for them. And, and you don't necessarily have to go that far. Although if that works for your band, then fine. But you know, either drawing attention to that person or doing something that is both interesting and not attention grabbing. Like, you know, don't just stare at your shoes because that's sort of boring, but find that element. And you have to experiment. And, you know, this is where watching videos can be helpful again if you're doing it with the right mindset. Um, but just, you know, thinking about what you're what you're telegraphing on stage when you're not thinking about what you're telegraphing. Right. And and so, I mean. I guess there's, that's the lesson. Think, yeah. think about it. Be, aw- be, be aware, present. be present. Yeah. 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 Be present. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's you know, cool. That's what I got. Yeah. Fun. sounds like we both had fun weekends. I certainly did. Yeah. Good weekend. And yeah. we're moving into our busy season. So we'll have a lot right. of things to talk about moving right. forward. Yeah. I've got crazy stuff coming up too. I've got uh, doing another musical at the high school with my daughter, which should be fun. I'm sure there'll be interesting conversations about that. And another madhouse coming up. Cause there's always another madhouse coming up. So, well, I get house rockers are, uh, we've been adding the last of our new songs, uh, for the share. And one of them is, is a really challenging song. Do I do by Stevie wonder oh. really? Yeah. A lot going on there. So that, that's one we're, we're diving into tonight. Um, uh, we've got a sly in the family stone dance to the music. So working on, you know, the hardest nice. thing with that is, is dividing up the vocals, but then I'm going to be playing guitar in my buddy, Steve's uh, Fogarty tribute. Sure. And the funny thing about that is, is like I, everybody knows credence and Fogarty music. Like you, you know it, but that's the danger when you, when you don't know it, you've, if you've never played it, the things in your mind that you've locked in are really hard to get out and learn it right. Yes. That's an interesting, <laughs> oh, that's like a whole other topic. So we should, I, I'm not even going to engage on that because we will, we, we, well, it's, it's another episode. So there you go. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Uh, yeah. Now I can't wait to talk about that. All right. <laughs> All right. Moving on. <laughs> moving on. Anything else for today? Are we good? I think we're good, brother. All right, man. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you for uh, thank you for being you. Send in your uh, your thoughts to us. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com. Join us over on the Facebooks. Uh, giggabpodcast.com slash Facebook. That's always something else we share, Paul. What is that again? Always be performing. That's what we're doing. See you next time. 